Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. You're listening to the College Info Geek Podcast, where it's all about learning more, paying off your student debt, landing your dream job, and being awesome at college. Now, here's your host, Thomas Frank. Yo, 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 welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast.com backslash things in your ears, whatever. Okay. Today, I am joined by my roommate and friend, Martin Bamey. Yo. Yo. Uh, Martin is, let's see, what are you? Uh, he's a student at Iowa State, majoring in the same major I majored in. He's my roommate. Uh, he is my coder for the new redesign that we're secretly working on. And he's also the founder at powlyglot.com, which is a site I frequently link to um, about language learning. So... I think he's doing pretty good in college, and I wanted to bring him on here so we can play video games together while recording some answers to some reader questions, which I um, currently have flooding my inbox. And I have, this, I have this huge problem where if I try to answer questions individually, I will just write a novel. So we're going to try to take at least some of them and get them answered on the show. And we'll see how this goes. Maybe it'll become a more frequently done format. I don't know. <clears throat> What do you think, sir? I think uh, we're going to have to sync my controller. All right, let's see. I'm not going to be able to play. How do I do that? Uh, that. You found it. Question number one. How do I sync okay, a Wii U controller? controller to itself? I think, I think I got it. All right, we should nice. be good. All right. Let's get mad at Mario while let's he answers these questions. Let's get productive and play a bad game that's actually great. Just kidding. This game is bad. Last level's terrible. Watch somebody do the last level on YouTube, and I don't think I'll ever be able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got pretty close, but after oh 100 my God. deaths, I did not care. <laughs> and you, there's no, uh, there's like no checkpoints, right? I don't think so. It's like an exceptionally long level with no checkpoints whatsoever. Yeah. Let's just start at the beginning, shall we? Okay, um, were there anything... Any things I wanted to talk about before we started? I don't think so. Uh, I guess I'm probably going to publish this tomorrow. Today being Monday. Tomorrow being a Tuesday. And how are you a bubble? Uh, press R. I don't, I don't know what button it is on yours. I've never used the classic controller. That's brilliant. Alright, I want to be a cat. Yeah, okay. So today being Tuesday. Uh, Thursday, I'm going to do another uh, game stream Q&A thing. So, for any of you available Thursday evening, and this will be going out to the email newsletter, so obviously this won't be the only way I'm announcing this, um, on Twitch TV, I'm going to be streaming Super Meat Boy, and if you have any questions about college, careers, whatever, ask away there, and you'll have something to watch that isn't boring at the same time. So, that'll be going out. Other than that, that's all I have for now, so... Let's start with the first question. 
So Arela, I think that's how you pronounce that name. I even looked it up. Says, do you have any tips on hunting for your first apartment and making the transition from living on campus to an apartment? Uh, yes, I do. Let's see. Where did you live before you moved to the first apartment at Iowa State? Like b- before Freddie Court? Yeah, was it a dorm or like? Because uh, you uh, went to a different college, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I went to Iowa Western, and I actually just lived at my friend's house for a while. It was pretty close, so I walked to school and stuff. I didn't deal with housing a lot until I got here. But I will say, watch out for first floor apartments because ants are terrible, and I hate them. <laughs> uh, that is, I guess if you live in states that are prone to getting ant problems, then yes, that can be I imagine that that's the world soon issue. enough. <laughs> the entire world is just full of ants. Watch out. Okay, um, yeah, so I lived in a dorm for the first two and a half years. Uh, two years, and then one year as a CA or an RA, I guess most schools call it, in a dorm. So then I moved to an apartment after that. And the interesting thing is I've lived in, I guess, two different sets of apartments, one being an on-campus apartment and one being the one that I'm currently in off-campus. Wow, I just keep dying. You are so bad I'm at this. terrible at this. Uh, so I guess I'll start with the on-campus question. So if you're going to live in an on-campus apartment, it's a simpler question because usually you just sign up through the same system you would use to get into a dorm. And all I can say about that is look online to figure out when the first day you can sign up for an apartment is and try to get your group together as soon as possible because... Even if it, you know if it's on campus, if it's off campus, either way, places in college towns tend to fill up fast, especially if they are cheap and are good. So, oh, screw you. First place. <clears throat> you want to be uh, first in line if you can. So that's what I did. I made sure that the first day that I could possibly sign up for an apartment was the day that I did. And because of that, uh, we were able to get our summer apartment with all four people. Um, it would have gone a lot smoother if Clyde hadn't have forgotten. But... Yeah, make sure everybody's <laughs> on board with the paperwork, because if one person's not on board with the paperwork, what happens is you all think that you don't have an apartment for a while, <laughs> and then they say, no, it's actually Clyde, he did that. That's actually a good point to bring up. Um, if you're living with roommates, and you like have a set of roommates that you want to live with specifically, make sure everyone is on the same page. Give me that crown. No, I want that dope-ass crown. <laughs> Yeah, make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, I think what I did was I set up an Evernote document to kind of lay out every detail about the apartment and then made sure that everyone had access to it. This isn't the infinite shell trick, is it? Not no, up here. Not right It's here. on this level. All right. It is in this level. Yeah, like I... Oh, it's down here. I'm probably going to do it in a second, actually. So yeah, make sure everyone's on the same page and you will not have too many hiccups. So on-campus apartments, usually you pay for the semester up front just like a dorm. Pretty easy. Um... At our school, it's a little more expensive than a dorm, but other than that, there's not a huge difference. Off-campus is a whole different beast, and we are now getting infinite lives. Yep. So with off-campus apartments, usually one person will sign a lease. Um, If you have roommates, they'll kind of be on the lease, but there will be one person who is the main uh, contact, whatever, signer. And it's pretty much all on you. It'll be month-to-month rent. You'll have to set up utilities separately oftentimes. Um, I know personally we have gas, electric, and internet all through three different companies that I had to set up 
after I got my apartment. So it's kind of a more intense process. Uh, and whoever gets their name on the utilities and stuff, make sure that's somebody that's reliable for due dates and stuff. That is a that is a really good point. If you get somebody who's like, yeah, I can do it, but they're late on normal things, and they miss an electricity payment, and you don't have lights, you're not going to appreciate it. It's very true. So actually, the one thing that I did um, for our apartment setup was... So I, I wanted to get all of our friends from our dorm into one building, if possible, and... That was like twelve different people, so what I that would be three apartments of uh, four four rooms each, and what we basically did was appointed one person to kind of be the leader of each apartment, and they were responsible for making sure all the paperwork was in on time, for making sure their roommates um, were, you know, keeping all their details in line and everything like that, and and then I was like the kind of the main manager of the whole situation. We were really bad at this. <laughs> this controller is really strange to me. Oh, so. is it? Okay. And I am dead. And I have a crown. Where was I? What's up? Yeah, so we paperwork. had we had one person per apartment who was kind of the leader to make sure all the paperwork was done. And that is a really beneficial situation. If you're going to go into an apartment where you don't know who your roommates are going to be, uh, some apartments usually you... Actually, I think with most apartments, you have to kind of bring your own roommates and set it up yourself. But with ours... They have this weird system where it's almost set up like a dorm in that uh, yeah, the very... leases are individual, and if one of your roommates bails on you, they'll just assign a random person. Yeah, it's very specialized to the college. Yeah, it's thing. it's really... It's not a normal apartment situation. Nope, not at all. Look at all these coins. For, just... for most apartments, where you'll bring I? your own friends. Oh. There you are. That was weird. And that'll be the end of it. Um... So yeah, so what I did was, at least here in Ames, and I would guess this is the situation for most college towns, uh, apartment leases start in August. Uh, this does not mean you can start looking for an apartment in June and expect to get one. They are not it, going to like you. It might be possible, but you're going to get like the crappiest apartment in town if you find anything at all. Um, so... What I did was I started looking in November of the previous year, and I had some friends who lived in the current complex we're in, so they had said it was pretty good, and I was like, all right, it's cheap, uh, they've got enough space for us, I think this will be good if I can get it. So I went in and talked to the landlord in November of the year prior to when we wanted to actually sign our leases. And so, first place again, you know what? You know what? Not going to happen three times, let me tell you. It is going to happen three times. What I wanted to do was basically get tight with landlord right away so that they would be willing to help with, you know, any problems we had and basically I wanted to let them know that I was going to be really responsible and in turn they have been very helpful to me. So November of the previous year I started asking, they were like we don't start assigning leases until around February um and I was like, okay. So promptly in February, I contact them again. Let's get these leases signed up. And luckily, all my roommates had their shit together, so we were able to get everything signed in February of that year. Um, I think we had our apartment actually assigned around March or April, and moved in in, or in August without a hitch. Uh, so that was really nice, but I think the, the big takeaway is just make sure you're doing this early. Uh, it's really just like a mindfulness thing, and that really applies to anything, not just apartments, but it's very helpful because... I think a lot of people don't take apartments very seriously, but this is the place you're going to live in. So, 
take it seriously if you if you know and see if you can get it done as early as possible. Oh crap! It's also you're gonna have to worry about uh, location because if you're not close to school, this is completely separate. But if you're in a state where it gets terribly cold and you're far away from campus or a bus stop or anything useful like a store, you're going to be mad a lot. So I feel like you might be referring to uh, our situation. No, right that's now. ridiculous. <laughs> it is not negative seventeen degrees it outside. Actually, see, I feel like people who live in like Texas or no, they're probably going to do they, a lot better. They probably but, don't even believe us that it's actually, but it literally is negative seventeen degrees right now. The wind chill was colder than uh, a regular average temperature on Mars a while back. Yep, that was, that was pretty. It cool. was actually Mars here. So that was not cool. If you live in a place with bad weather, watch for how close you are. Unless you want to drive all the time, but it's your gas money, not mine. Yep. I, I end up driving a lot now. Um, since I'm not a student, I don't take the bus as much anymore. Yeah, it makes sense for you. But the location is important. And if you are, you know, staying... Oh, crap. Why did I do that? Give me that cat. Oh, shit. How did I get everything back? I don't know. <laughs> If you are being really, uh, what's the word? I'm not even thinking of it right now. Responsible, I guess, and getting everything done early, then you're probably going to have the pick of the apartments in town. So look at the location. What businesses do you like to go to? How close to campus do you need it? Um, what's the bus route? I know Ames has a fantastic public transport system for students. Yes, it does. But not every school has that. So um, is your on-campus parking good enough to warrant living far enough away that you could drive every day or do you need to live closer take into consideration all the factors that are going to affect you on a daily basis so just think you know what do i do every single day now that i live in a dorm how is this going to be complicated or made to be more difficult if i live off campus in an apartment and if you can go through all those and you know with a specific property you've selected say this i can still make do with this then go with it you know um I would say if you don't really have friends that can recommend a specific complex for you, then um, just kind of be friendly, go to a complex, knock on a few doors, and ask people what they think of the place. I really don't recommend going and looking at Google reviews of apartment complexes, because what I've noticed is <laughs> almost every apartment complex in our town has just crap reviews on Google, and everyone's just really mad. And it makes me think that if you're really mad at an apartment complex for some reason, you know, it could possibly be your fault for not, like, missing a deadline or something. But, you know, I feel like people who are really mad would be more than likely to write a review, whereas people who are satisfied, it's not, like, a luxury item like a Lexus. It's just an apartment. It's kind of a place that you live in, and you only notice it when it's not doing what you want it to do for you. So... For that reason, I don't think online reviews of apartment complexes are all that useful to judge the, you know, judge a property. So go just ask, ask a few people who live there if they can, you know, tell you if they're satisfied or not. If they are, it's probably a good fit. Um, oh, one, one other thing about apartments. When you're looking for them and you're trying to decide what you're going to do, make sure you know where the management office and thing and all of those things are because we had a friend who lost a mail key and couldn't replace it because the office was way across town, nowhere near the apartments. And that 
That is incredibly inconvenient. That is incredibly inconvenient. So you want to at least know where that is so that you're prepared to deal with things when you need to. Yeah, it's really, really nice to have your apartment complex uh, office right where you live. Ours is like, what, 50 feet away? Yeah. So that's really nice. I think most places are going to have that, but um, the place that he lives in is kind of like owned by a big... Uh, big property management company, so yeah, and that might be like more in a bank or something. It might be more prevalent in other towns and stuff. I don't know what their yeah. situations will be like, but make sure you know where your management office is and your mail and all your stuff is, and make sure you have a way to get there. You know, it's it's one thing if you have a bus route to your apartment, but there's no way to get to your management uh, office without like bumming a ride off somebody. You might run into some tough situations, so just keep that in mind. Um, another big thing I noticed when I moved into apartment is. There's a lot that isn't included that you wouldn't have thought of, like, that you wouldn't think of if you lived in a dorm. Like, living in a dorm, I had the shared bathroom, and, like, there was always toilet paper in the toilet. There's always a trash in there. Uh, You go eat at the dining center, so you don't have to worry about a kitchen. So when you're budgeting for an apartment, you should take into account um, some, a good amount of initial expenses that you're going to have to, going to have to deal with, like, Buying all your bathroom supplies, buying kitchen supplies, like pots, pots and pans. And pans yeah. yeah, and you know your mom might provide some stuff. You can ask family if they have like extra things. And Goodwills are also good to check. You have to split that between everyone too. That's true. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's honestly kind of just like a bigger version of the roommate situation from dorms. You know it. You get with your friend on Facebook and say, okay, who's bringing the TV? Who's bringing the couch? Only this time it's who's bringing forks, knives, pans, a vacuum cleaner, vacuum cleaner uh, you know, laundry detergent, all that kind of stuff. And it can be really efficient to share things. Like Martin and I share a tub of the laundry Those little Tide pod things. things. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense to buy a ton of them. But just make sure you communicate with your roommates again. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's really anything else. I would say, you know, just the biggest thing is stay tight with your landlord because you never know, you know, you don't, you want to make a good relationship with everyone that you meet, but especially with the people who run the place you live at. That's pretty important. You got that stereotype kind of movie thing where the landlord comes and he's asking for rent (laughs) and then they're just like, oh, I'm not here right now. And don't do that. Oh, dude, no, I just, I have like, I'm doing a show at the comedy club next week, and I, they're going to pay me like 300 bucks, so I can get it to you when I get done with that. Don't make your landlord <laughs> pay you. That's not going to go well. Yep. Make your landlord like you, and then when your neighbors make a lot of noise on the weekends and break <laughs> beer bottles in your hallway, uh, you can legitimately complain, and they will listen to you. So, yeah. I think that... Oh, wait. That's actually... That's the thing. You don't have RAs. Keep that in mind. You're going to have to go to higher authorities. Yeah, there are if no you RAs. you have problems. You can call the cops. Don't be scared uh, to call the cops. Or you can knock on doors and deal with things yourself. I've had to learn to do that. Do be scared to do that. No, don't don't be scared to do that. I know that, a lot of but... friends don't want to do that, and it sucks to have to knock on someone's door and tell them to quiet down, but, you know, you got to do it sometimes because there are no RAs. Like that SpongeBob episode. Yeah. Is that good for apartments? I uh, can't think of anything else. I mean, if we think of something else, we'll just come back to it. I mean, I think... Some people might want to know, like, do you need a car if you live in an apartment? And, Ooh. I mean, you personally don't. You get by it, pretty good. It depends on your public transportation and how close you are to campus and stuff. It's completely variable. I can get by without a car, but 
if I had a job on the other side of town, like, Jake, that wouldn't work. That's true, yeah. It'd be terrible. Um, luckily, he's got friends, but... Yeah. Having a car can be convenient. If you have a good bus system, though, you still might not need one, even if you're halfway across town. All right, we're heading to Bowser. First Bowser. Uh, by the way, first place, like, fifth time in a row. No big deal. I got it once. Did you? Know? you? Yeah, I did. All right, well, then not fifth consecutive time. Fine. You can have that. All right, hopefully that's some good information about apartments. I think eventually I should write a whole article about transitioning to apartments, because there was a lot that I didn't consider until I actually got to it. Yeah. Uh, next question. I'm going to just... Care if I pause while I read it? No, that's totally cool. All right, so we have two questions, and I thought they were kind of related, so I'm going to read them both. Um, Lexa asks, I was accepted into a study abroad program just a few weeks ago, and it would be for summer 2014. Unfortunately, my college won't be able to cover the costs with my financial aid for a summer abroad. And I really want to do this trip, but I know absolutely nothing about college loans beyond my own school and scholarships for summer sessions. Um, not sure if you know anything about studying abroad, but I thought I would like to share my own college struggle in this case. You might know something to help. So basically, Lexa wants to know how to afford a summer study abroad trip that her uh, school won't be able to cover by default. And then Jacob uh, had a similar question, said, I'm struggling to figure out how to pay for a study abroad trip. I think studying abroad is worth it to take some loans out for, and I might not ever have this chance again, barring the possibility that I start running a massively popular blog and make a ton of money. (laughs) Who does that? I don't know who does that. It's ridiculous. Uh, Do you have any advice on traveling cheaply? Okay, so I mean... Right now, we just have a theme of, you know, how do I afford a study abroad experience? Should I take the study abroad experience? Should I take out loans to do so? Ooh, um, tough questions. It's a tough question, and whenever I get this question, I am I kind of cringe a little bit because I never, I didn't study abroad during uh, my time in college. I never did a specific study abroad program, no. and I have a lot of friends and acquaintances who did, and they all will tell you, like, yes, it was a really great experience. I definitely recommend it. Um, I didn't do it. What I did do though was go to Japan, um, with a couple of friends during the summer after my junior year. And that was just funded on my own dime. I want to say it probably ran me around $3,000. Um, I probably could have made that a little bit cheaper, but that was an amazing experience. Probably one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. And I guess one of the big things I want to say about that is doing it on my own was I think a little bit I want to you know I can't say for sure because I never have studied abroad but I want to say it was kind of a better experience because I had to go and immerse myself in the culture and figure everything out myself and try to talk to Japanese people and try to learn a little bit of the language whereas what I've heard with a lot of study abroad programs is you know you go to a partner university at the country you're traveling to and a lot of the time you spend with other American students Whereas if you travel alone, you get immersed in the culture. So you stayed in a bunch of hostels and things like that, didn't you? Meet a lot of other foreign people. Yeah, I did actually. I met I met people from the UK. I met a person from New Zealand. A lot of travelers. I met a guy who went to school in the states and then moved to Australia and worked at Boeing there, and then he was in Japan. I randomly stayed at a capsule hotel and met him there, and we became pretty good friends. So. I guess this is this is two questions. Should I study abroad if I need to take out loans? Um, my default advice is federal loans generally. You know, I, I guess at a base rate, I would I would want to say if you can avoid loans, try to avoid loans. But f- 
federal sub- subsidized loans, even unsubsidized. Right now, it's a 3.86 interest uh, percent interest rate. Right now, that's not bad. If you can make over 35k a year and keep your expenses low, um, you can probably pay that off pretty easily. The problem starts when people start looking at taking out private loans, and if that is your plan, if you want to take out a private loan to study abroad, my advice would be to hunker down, try to work and save up some money on your own, and then go travel solo or with a friend when you can. Because as great as a study abroad experience is going to be, having to pay off you know a big loan at six, seven, eight percent interest or more is going to be pretty tough afterwards. So I'm kind of the anti-private loan guy. That's my take on it. Um, and having traveled on my own for only a few K, I think you can get a really great experience even if you don't do a study abroad program. But yeah, what do you think? Honestly, I, I haven't gotten the chance to travel a lot. I haven't done a study abroad either, though I've wanted to. But I would also just say studying abroad is cool. But most of the reasons that I would enjoy it are that I'm in another country, experiencing another culture, and things that I could get just by traveling there. A plane ticket, some hotels, some hostels, it's going to be a lot cheaper, And unless you specifically want to take classes there. Like you're doing design stuff in Italy or something, that that's pretty cool and maybe relevant. But if it's just general education classes and you don't care that much about doing the classes there the cultural experience can be gotten for a lot cheaper outside of a study abroad. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I I I think there's really something to be said for going and not really knowing anything about the culture and having to experience it for yourself and figuring it all out on your own. That is a really valuable experience, and I'm really glad I had it. It's probably very responsibility-boosting. You kind of learn how to take care of yourself a little more because you have to. Yeah, definitely. Um, Man, it's a really weird experience just being in an airport at 1am and literally not knowing how to go find a place to sleep. Yeah. And you don't have your, you know, you can't just call your school and be like, hold my hand. I don't know what's going on. You just, you get, you gotta be an adult. Sorry, bro. Figure it out. And exactly. that's very independence building. So that's the, I would say they're both probably really good experiences, but if you're strapped for cash, you might want to consider just traveling. Mm, especially if, like you said, it was kind of a general education experience. Uh, First place. What now? Uh, we're, we're not friends. That's what now. <laughs> it's okay, though. I think that's only my second one at this point. Um, I know a lot of people uh, in, like, specific programs, landscape architecture comes to mind, where there are required study abroad trips. And if that's you, well, this advice might not apply to you because part of your program may be studying abroad. That might just be an extra expense that is kind of required. But for the general ed... I think traveling solo is a great idea, and it probably will be more affordable and more rewarding in the long run. That being said, um, part of this question is, how can I make traveling cheaper? So, from my personal experience, it's just been going to Japan, uh, not a study abroad experience, but I do have some advice that I have learned through those experiences, two trips to Japan over two years, that can definitely cut down on the costs. Uh, And the first one is with regards to your plane ticket. So the plane ticket is going to be the biggest single expense that you have to deal with if you're traveling, especially if you're going to somewhere in Asia or Europe. It's going to be a normal price, probably around $1,200 to get to Japan. 
and you know I, I've looked at Ireland prices because I want to go there pretty soon. Those are usually around a thousand or more, and the best way, the best easy, simple way that you can save money on a plane ticket is by setting up an email or on a place like Kayak or Skyscanner. So just go look up like the dates that you want to go somewhere, and if you can be flexible, do like a plus minus three days kind of thing. And then just set up an email alert. And through doing that, I was able to get about $350 off of the normal price of a ticket to Japan. It was like $850, I want to say, for my first time. So that really helped me save. And um, yeah, if you can do that, that's perfect. There's also doing frequent flyer miles. I did a podcast episode with my friend Travis Sherry from Extra Pack of Peanuts. And his site is all about kind of the travel hacking, how to utilize frequent flyer miles to lower your plane ticket expenses. So if you're interested in that, um, it's a bit more work and I really haven't done a whole lot of it myself, but it can definitely save you a lot of money if you know what you're doing. So check that out if you're looking to save money on plane tickets. So lodging is probably the next biggest expense and all I can say is use hostels. Hostels are amazing and I mean, I I guess they got a bit of a bad rap from that stupid horror movie, huh. but <laughs> I think it's probably like, not going to happen. That's what my mom said. I was like, I'm staying in a hostel in Japan, mom. She's like, are you going to get killed or something? No. Uh, new advice, try not to get killed. New advice, try not to watch bad horror movies. Oh, you, you can't kill that bird, man. There's a, actually, we already have all the stuff, uh, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, whoops. Usually you can't kill that bird, but it doesn't matter. Um, in reality, a hostel is basically just... Uh, usually more bare bones hotel. You might have shared dormitories with other travelers, but you know, in their shared shared bathroom facilities. So it's almost like a dorm. In fact, if you're in college and you've been living in dorms, a hostel is going to be like right at home for you. Usually, I I hear like older people being like, "Well, I could never stay in a hostel." Well, yeah, you've been living in your own house and staying in hotels for thirty years. It's probably going to be a bit of a shock to you. But for a student, it's a pretty normal experience. I found. Most people at hostels are either people who are from that country um, or just other travelers. And other travelers are often really cool people. So it's almost just like hanging out with a bunch of really cool people and staying somewhere for 20 or 30 bucks a night. In Japan, the hostels were super clean, um, really cheap. And the people there usually could speak a good amount of English. So I had a great experience. Definitely go for the hostels. I think hostelworld.com is the one that I used to book all my stuff the second time through. And as long as you book like three days in advance, then you're going to be fine. I want you to know that Hostile World sounds like a bad band <laughs> name. We're Hostile World. We're Hostile World. We don't like anything. We're hostile to any new ideas, any any new forms of thinking. <laughs> no, but yeah, no, seriously, Hostile World's great. Um, also, Hostile Bookers can be another good one. I've... I haven't used them personally, but I've heard good things about them as well. So check those out. Uh, and then the third biggest expense is going to be uh, maybe a tie between food or transportation. So going along with the hostel thing, most hostels that I have been to at least have shared cooking and kitchen facilities. So if you want to save money and you're going to be in a place for a, a good long while, you know, a week or so, maybe even a few days, then find a local grocery store and buy some groceries and use the cooking facilities. You will save a ton of money on that if you do it that way. Uh, If you keep going to restaurants for every single meal, you're gonna rack up a huge bill. And I think that's where a lot of travel money ends up going is to food. And as great as food is, 
the experiences and saving money is usually better. So save your money for a few really nice eating experiences and for the most part, just eat on the cheap. I'm blowing into my Wii controller. I'm not going crazy here. Uh, Transportation is also huge. So just do your research. I know in... I have to blow again. <laughs> This is so stupid. I'm about to stop. Yeah, this is a really inconvenient level. <laughs> I'm going to have to we stop should, talking. We should not be playing this level. <laughs> All right. Um, at least for Japan, there is something called a JR Pass. <laughs> this is so stupid. And the JR Pass is like, it's a pass for tourists that you can only get outside of Japan. And for like 250 bucks for one week, or I think I did 430 for two weeks... You get unlimited travel on the JR lines, which are most of the train lines in Japan. And I thought 430 bucks was kind of expensive when I was paying it up front, but after all the travel we did, it was bonkers how cheap it was. Oh, shit. Um, we probably would have paid like $800, $900 for all the travel we did, because we went up and down Japan multiple times. So definitely look into any sort of like tourist specific travel arrangements that you can get for the country you're going to. If it's Japan, definitely get the JR pass. Um, in Europe, I think you can get tourist rail passes. I'm not sure, but I think I've heard things, some things about that. And you know that, along with food, healthy, you know, cheap food choices, going with hostels, being smart about how you get your plane ticket, you can cut a lot out of your trip expenses. And honestly, I probably could have gone to Japan for around two thousand dollars. Um, if you don't have a part-time job in school, get one. I worked 20 hours a week all throughout college and saving up $3,000 was not a big deal. And I will say that when I went to Japan, my site was making almost no money at that point. So it was pretty much all just money I made through part-time jobs and other things like that. Freelance web dev, things that you can do to make extra money on the side definitely help for travel plans. Uh, I would also say that if you want to travel... Uh, thinking about a gap year after school, depending on your debt situation, is not a bad idea. You'll hear a lot of people say that, oh, you, you shouldn't take a gap year. You need to get right into the workforce because you're going to miss out on opportunities or something, or they're going to, or employers are going to think that you just spent a year being lazy. I really disagree with that. I think if you take a gap year to go travel and to get some really, you know, really eye opening experiences in life, um, employers are going to look at that and they're going to think it's a pretty cool thing and you're going to have a story to tell that most people won't be able to tell. So if you want to look at graduating, maybe working for a while and then going to travel for a bit before you get into your career, that I think is a viable plan as long as you have a solid plan for paying back any student loans you have. Because, I mean, for me, that's a huge priority. Get rid of that debt and you're going to have a lot more freedom. So, yeah. Anything else? Oh, I can't add much to that. Time. I haven't even traveled, so. True. Uh, Need too soon. Rent rent bikes in those other countries. Oh, bikes yeah. Bikes are great. I did bikes that. Bikes rides, share the road. <laughs> Go vegan. <laughs> <laughs> um, The first time I was in Japan, I never did that. But the second time through, I rented a bike one day, and we just rode bikes through Tokyo all day, and it was it was great. Yeah, it sounds awesome. And I want to say it cost me like a $1.50 equivalent in yen, so... Definitely one of the cheaper ways to have fun in a different country is renting a bike. It's pretty popular outside of here. I, I am under the impression of... That was a weird sentence. Yeah, you don't see a whole lot of bike rental in the U.S., do you? Uh, maybe in bigger cities. I think they're coming up with a bike-sharing program for here, actually. Are they? For Iowa State. Okay, I think it might be but, one of those things that's getting more popular. But definitely in Tokyo, they have 
big bike rental places and they're real cheap and you get a bike for the whole day. So, and you can rent bikes overnight too. So I've, I've seen several people, uh, just rent bikes for like the entire duration of their hostel stay and they have easy transportation throughout the entire town. So yeah, definitely do that. All right. I'm going to move on to the next question. So I think we're getting a pretty good amount of detail here. All right. Andrew is asking, at school, it's extremely difficult to eat healthy because of the huge variety of foods available every time I go to eat. How do you control these cravings? And how do you go about eating healthy when you're living in a house with two other guys and paying for or making your own meals? So I guess two kind of different questions here. How do you control your cravings at the dining center? And how do you go about making healthy food when you're living on your own? Uh, he's saying, you know, he's moving into a house starting in June. So he wants to know how he can start eating healthy and not just make craft dinners and ramen. This is a great question. Um, you never lived in a dorm, so you never had to deal with a I, dining center I situation. Didn't. I did not. Freshman, first semester freshman year was one of the most unhealthy times for me because of dining centers. How did you not get this green star? I don't know how I didn't get this green star. I'm really bad at this game. You should know that. All right. <laughs> um, the first semester I got here, I was terrible about eating. I would basically anything in the dining center was fair game, and since we had the dining dollars to go buy things in the campus convenience stores, I would also buy lots of energy drinks, and it was just really bad and I don't know how I'm not dead um and I think the thing that turned it around was I got some actual fitness goals that weren't just you know this the very general and vague eat healthy or be healthy or get in shape I don't think those goals really give you a concrete picture of what you're going for so unless you have a natural tendency to gravitate towards the salad bar you're not really going to have motivation to stay away from the burgers and pizza and whatever else they have at the dining center. So for me, it was, I wanted to, you know, hit some certain weights for my lifting uh, goals. And for that, I had a very specific diet that I was following. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to gain a certain amount of weight, but only in lean mass. I wanted to cut down my body fat percentage and be able to lift so much and for bench deadlift, um, squat, all that kind of thing. So that really helped me clean up my diet. And ever since then, I just got into the habit of hitting the salad bar first when I went to the dining center, uh, get a big old plate of that. And after that, once I was already full, the temptation to eat less healthy food was often a lot, um, you know, really diminished. So that's, I guess, my tips for for dining centers. I'll let Martin start with the apartment eating because I know you never really yeah. went the whole ramen and craft dinner route. No, sure. I can't even have those. Yep. So, uh... One of the things that I did to clean up my diet, because I used to be only a meat, bread, potatoes kind of person, constantly, and one of the things, there's a post on College Info Geek about it, I went vegan for a month, and for almost two years after that, I was vegetarian, and it was this huge health, health kind of experiment, and the logic behind it was, I prefer meat, bread, and potatoes to all these vegetables and things, I've never been one to eat them, so how will I make myself eat them? easy by making it the only food that I can have. So maybe just pick a day of the week where you don't eat things that you normally do. Try to specifically go out and eat these whole foods, vegetables and fruits and stuff that you just don't pick up as often when pizza and burgers and fries are right in the way. And uh, so that works pretty great just because you start to get used to this stuff when you try new stuff a lot. So try new foods a lot. And for cheap, cheap foods, that is 
relatively alright if you're making stir fries and stuff. You can get rice, sweet potatoes, bananas, eggs. All of these things are relatively cheap and you can put them together to build some good stuff. Peppers. What do you put in your stir fries, Tom? Uh, let's see here. I do spinach, peppers, onions for the veggies. Oh, yeah, spinach. Spinach is good. Um, and then I do, let's see here. Rice, chicken, um, eggs, and then cheese and some stir-fry sauce and then a few, like, spices and things like that. And it's delicious and really healthy. And the rice and eggs are so cheap that the cost of anything Mm. else you're getting isn't that big of a deal. Yeah, it's very true. I hear a lot of people say, like, oh, it's it's so expensive to eat healthy when, uh, ooh, we can go to this fourth thing. Because I think there's four of us now. Maybe. Will it work for a second player? I'm not sure. Yes. It does. Nice. Do we have what's up here or not? No, we didn't. Swag. But people are saying that healthy food's so expensive, and that's that's really true if you're getting super high quality meat or you're vegetarian and you're getting mock meats. Those are expensive, but yeah, but like just rice and eggs. See, sweet potatoes, potatoes, all super cheap. Onions yeah. cost like nothing. When Steve came over at Nerd Fitness, reached out to me to rate, write a guide on eating healthy in college. the The whole theme we kind of agreed on was don't try to be perfect. Just try to be, you know, try to be good. So what level are you at? Are you not satisfied? Are you eating too much packaged food, too much junk food? Okay, well, identify some healthy whole foods. Maybe it's not, you know, perfect pastured organic chickens and, and cage-free eggs or whatever. But if you're eating eggs and rice and, and, you know, good chicken and a lot of veggies, you're going to be a heck of a lot healthier than you are if you're eating ramen and craft dinners and all that kind of stuff. So while you might not be able to be perfect... Just be okay with being good enough. And this is a theme that kind of goes throughout all sorts of goal setting, you know, whether it be health, whether it be learning goals or business goals. If you try to be perfect from the outset, you're going to overwhelm yourself and you're going to demotivate yourself eventually. By the way, first place on that one, get shit on. Yeah, that was pretty terrible. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll link to the stir fry recipe that I made because I made a slide share about it and it was a really good meal for me. Another one I make, I make, um, let's see here. I have a George Foreman grill. That's a really good way to make food quickly. It takes a lot of the effort out of it. Um, I make a, let's see here. Another one I make is stuffed bell peppers. And it's just like this ground beef recipe that I put into bell peppers and cook for an hour mm-hmm. in the stove. And that's really healthy and pretty easy to make. I think the, the two biggest obstacles to, why did I do that? I wanted to be a cat, not a fire guy. The two biggest obstacles to eating healthy uh, when you live in your own place are one, not knowing how to make things, and two, just basically being lazy and not wanting to make it. So the you know the answer to the first one is you need to take a little bit of time to practice a recipe or two, get good at it, um, to the point where it becomes second nature. Like anything, the first couple of times you learn something, it's kind of difficult and kind of a pain to do. After the first couple of times, a recipe starts getting so easy, you can just throw on a podcast in your in your iPod or have a TV show on, make it into about 10, 20 minutes, and be on your way. Um, once it's second nature, it's really easy to make. I wake up in the morning and automatically make my breakfast because I know exactly how to make it. It's not a hassle. Uh, so that's the knowledge part. The second part is being lazy, and you can really mitigate that by just making sure you have you know maybe like a set shopping day every week and keeping a good list and good inventory so you actually have what you need in your kitchen and then setting specific times to make meals what i found is since i have so many goals i 
tend to skip over a lot of things like making meals or like allowing myself to have fun and relax at night because I'm always stressed out about how much I didn't get done um, on my goal lists. So I've tried to, I try to make it a habit now to specifically set time to make meals and have a set time to end my day with um, to start relaxing and getting things done that aren't related to work. That helps me a lot in being not lazy or not too lazy to make food at night. You should blow up that wall. Uh, another Ooh. thing you could do is if you have a lot of vegetables and you find day to day you don't you don't want to chop your vegetables or whatever, you can do a lot of this preparation of the foods you're making beforehand. So like chop up all your onions, potatoes, peppers, put them in a container, stick them in the fridge so that you have them for the days at school where you're really busy. You can set that up on Sunday or a weekend day when you have time. And then it's really easy to eat healthy on the other days. Yeah, definitely. Just do the kind of batching. I feel really bad because I shot you with the cannon and then you were like... You don't feel that bad. <laughs> I don't feel that bad. Um, yeah, just like kind of make batches. So if you get some Tupperware, a lot of food makes great leftovers. And then you can just warm it up when on the days that you're super busy. So find a day when you don't have a whole lot. Sundays are usually good. Usually like a lazy homework day. Take some time. Chop all your vegetables up in one big batch and, you know cook up a bunch of food and have it in Tupperware to go. It's also helpful if you are on campus a lot and you don't want to spend money for food at school. If you can bring oh, sack looping, lunches. Looping right back. Yeah, go back to high school methods. I don't know how many people actually brought sack lunches to high school. I know I did. All the cool kids. All the cool kids brought sack All the cool kids in high school had freaking Papa John's pizza and cookies and Big Boppers for lunch and they made fun of me for eating salad bar. I'm sorry, Tom. <laughs> all those little diabetic... <laughs> cool jock children i don't understand it at all but <laughs> yeah just so bring food to school and you won't have to pay for it and it'll be healthier yeah all right moving right along uh maya asks i am struggling with finding different ways to study some ways of studying just don't work for me and it would be helpful to have something showing different ways to study this is a pretty general vague question wouldn't you say I'm not sure how many ways I can think of off the top of my head. I can think of ways to make studying more fun or easier. Yeah. Um, I know language studying. That I got that one. Yeah. The specific ways in which you study will be determined by what you're studying. Yeah. What the content is makes a big difference. So, But I think we can break down other facets of studying like your environment um you know how to eliminate distractions what kind of music would be better for studying how to keep organized all that kind of stuff there are a lot of things you can do to make sure that you are you know having a smoother experience when you study um or you could open the slides before the test scroll through them lazily while also watching the it crowd and playing your ds i may like, have done a couple of those things <laughs> So, yeah, um, let's see here. There's an article I wrote called The Mutant Study, or The Mutants, yeah, I think it's The Mutant Guide to Studying yeah, for yeah, Finals. I and I really like that guide because it just kind of goes through all the different areas that you can improve how you study so your finals experience won't be as bad. You just oh, knock that, the crown off your own head by hitting me with a snowball. I hope you're happy. I did not realize that was going to happen. <laughs> well, the crown's gone for good now. I hope you're happy. What is this? Um, so let's just try to go through some of those little different facets and see if we can find some improvements. Um, um, 
past the typical Let's way. Let's do location. Okay, so yeah, location. location. Where are you studying? So, when I started school, the main place that I studied was my dorm room. And the problem with studying in a dorm room is my room had fun things in it, including uh, roommates who were always playing Xboxes and things. So I would get massively distracted. And I know that a lot of my roommates had this exact same problem where they would always complain, oh, well, I, I have, like, no time to study anymore. And the entire time that they should have been studying, I saw them getting distracted and having friends come in and, and hang out with them and all kinds of just, you know, not really conducive to studying things. Just sitting on the couch, wasting hours. Yeah, there's a lot don't of have just, any time. just downtime, you know? So you got to find a place where the studying is going to become the main focus, where your material can be the only thing that you really have to focus on. And the library is a great place for that. I found that libraries can be really crowded a lot of times. So sometimes, depending on the, uh, you know, the conditions of your library, it might not be the best place. But if you haven't tried it, and I know a lot of students have never been to their, their school's library before, so I'm going to actually say it without thinking it's obvious, go try studying there. Um, our library has a lot of different kinds of study spots. There are lots of open areas with big tables and lots of students to hang out with. And then there are the uh, the hidden areas that I don't think anyone any janitor has cleaned for years. And you could try those kind of things too. I often found those were really nice as long as I can get internet at them. Why can't I catch this rabbit? Because he's down here. Um, get over here. Other than the library... A uh, thing I like to do when I'm doing work, it's not necessarily studying, but it still applies, is go to different buildings on campus that you don't need to go to normally. I've done work in the design building, the agronomy building. Sometimes your mind really just needs some, like a new location in order to focus. You get tired of your usual study habit place and it doesn't do as much anymore. Just try something, try somewhere you haven't been before. Yeah, variation can actually be really stimulating. That's worked a lot for me. I just try to find uh, new coffee shops and things as well around uh, town. Yeah. They're really nice to go study at. So definitely mix up your environment. Um, and I guess this kind of ties into it, freeing yourself from distractions. There are a lot of different kinds of distractions, and a lot of them come from your environment, but a lot of them also come from the way in which you study. So I know personally for me, if I'm studying on a laptop – my weakness is having a crap ton of tabs open at the same time I'm browsing. Yeah, it is. I have my Twitter open, my Evernote open, and I'll be like, all right, right now I'm going to work on this design that I'm working on. Oh, wait, no, I should work on the notes for this podcast. No, wait, I should study this thing that I'm trying to learn. I need to go study my Japanese. Even if a lot of what I want to do is work-related, I just get way too distracted by all of it to actually focus on one thing. Should we do this level? We're going to be real mad. Uh, obviously. All right, we're going to do, do level. it. Hop in. Be but yeah, back to your, more profanity Back to your 80 ahead. tabs at once method. Yeah, so if you can, force yourself to, you know, limit what you have with you to only the things that have to do with what you're studying. Close all the tabs in your browser. Um, I know I'm usually unwilling to do this, so the way that I get over it is I will make an Evernote document that lists all of the open tabs I used to have. And I know you can get like extensions like too many tabs to do this for you, but I find it better to use a main tool that I use every single day to do this. So Evernote definitely helps. Um, 
close all the other programs. Just basically, why did you? I do just that? found out that I'm, when I'm holding you, I can't climb climb up a wall. Weird. Weird. Yeah, I don't know why that would happen. It was almost as if my paws were being used for something else. Uh, yeah, so just get rid of distractions on your laptop. Uh, or just don't use laptop if you don't need to. Uh, I know I would probably not heed that advice at all, but it may be useful to somebody else. Indeed, indubitably. Uh, what kind of music works for you when studying? Uh, there's this site called Focus at Will, and that works for me really well. Also, I listen to a lot of Bjork when studying. It's really chill. Really uh, ambient, and if you need something more fast-paced, there's the uh, Irish band Bats, which is pretty ridiculous. Most of the time, you don't know what they're talking about because it's high-end science words and lyrics, so it doesn't distract you that much because you're like, I don't know what this means, so I'm not gonna bother processing it. Yeah, that that actually lyrics that, that you can understand and relate to are incredibly distracting. They are the enemy. Yeah, by the same token, Focus at Will is uh, is definitely a frequently visited one for me. Why did I just do that? Um, I really like that site, and I want to write a review of it at some point, because it's, it's amazing. And they actually go through all like the science of why the music they've chosen should help you concentrate, and they have all kinds of different channels. Uh, right. They have like, ambient channels, uh, trance, acoustic, classical, whatever you want. Why did I do that? They have things for it. So it so, asks you, it asks I really you a like quiz. It. When you start it to, like, place oh, your they? station. Yeah, when you set up a username, it asks you, uh, like, a personality quiz. And then it's like, you might like this station based upon how you answered. So. That's cool. I may have should... gotten onto the site before they had that feature. Yep, they had that when I joined. So okay. that's worth checking out just to see. Maybe I should be listening to more, some more calm music because, well, I don't know the neuroscience. But it's worth looking at. Yeah, that's really cool, actually. Um, another, there are a few bands that I constantly go to one of them is Ball Maria and they're listed on my study music playlist which I can link to because every album they have is just amazingly you know chill music I don't really know what to call it some of it's like acoustical some of it's ambient stuff so check them out and on the other side of the coin like you said with the sciencey words um what band was that again uh Bats Bats that's right yeah uh I like to listen to the like breakdown of sanity and like a lot of death metal bands because I can't hear what yeah. I can't tell what they're saying they're Stuff just screaming where the lyrics don't matter my girlfriend doesn't get it she's like how can you concentrate with all this crazy chaotic music going on well I mean like I can find rhythm in the chaos with like the percussion and everything but the main thing is I can't hear what they're saying so it's just this music I really love to hear without anything to pay attention to how did I get first place when I died like six times because I kept falling off oh did you okay yeah. I guess I didn't even notice that but yeah don't don't have uh, lyric-focused stuff. If you're listening to Backstreet Boys, you're going to sing Backstreet Boys. Don't tell me you're not going to sing Backstreet Boys. It's bad study music. You know, I think more people should sing Backstreet Boys while they're studying. We're missing and, two stars. Unless that works for you. I guess if you can sing Backstreet Boys and study effectively... Yeah, go I'm gonna... It. I'm gonna do Rap God while I study this Th time. You know what it is? That sounds like a terrible idea. It sounds like the best idea. I don't know, well, what, I don't know what you're talking about. Fine. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, yeah. Let's see here. Right, so, so I guess the, the specific ways to study might be a good thing to to touch on. Um, it's kind of hard to say when you don't know what you're studying specifically. But I know that 
there are general ways to study differently. So you can do the bad way, which is to just review the slides that are given in class. But hopefully you paid enough attention to those when they were being presented that you don't need to just kind of look over them again for the first time. Um, I can admit that a lot of the times I never paid attention in class and my, my way of studying was to just review the slides for the first time. That wasn't very good. Why are these coins not coming back? So take good notes in class and then you'll have an amazing set of detailed notes to review later. Uh, another really good thing to do is use the Cornell method when you are in taking notes in class and I can link to that. But basically it's a way that lets you take detailed notes on what you learn, but also allows you to summarize things and ask questions. So you have specific things to go look up later. That is a good idea. Yeah, definitely a really helpful thing for the active learner. Uh, let's see here. What else? What is up there? Hopefully Ooh, if, up you're, if you're doing something that's very vocabulary intensive, you could use Anki. I mean... I normally recommend it for language studying, but you could easily extend its vocabulary quiz type functionality with the spaced repetition into anything that has a lot of terminology or equations. That's true. Anything that has a lot of details to learn, Anki can be um, a real boon because the spaced repetition concepts do actually work. And let's see here. I, my girlfriend had to learn the the name of like 30 some European countries along with the capital and all the languages they spoke and with Anki she was able to learn it in like 30 minutes. Oh seriously? That's yeah it awesome. was it was really helpful. We, I mean I think another benefit to using Anki is you have to take the time to make the flashcards and just like making real flashcards when you're making flashcards you're learning because you're creating. Yeah and you're doing stuff so you got the kinesthetic interaction while you're making the notes you have a lot more a lot yeah. more stimulation helps you remember it more. Exactly. I mean, it kind of also just taking notes while you learn. It's also the act of creating some content engages more, more of your brain in learning that subject. Like, uh, that was how Pat Flynn got started. He was studying for an architecture exam and he took his notes and made a blog of it. And I guess he had, I don't know if he just brain dumped or if he tried to write it in like a teaching style, but either way that was really beneficial for him. Hmm. And ended up you know benefiting him in different ways but so if you, that could be a way to study as well you could try to teach somebody else or you could write an article on it kind of hitting all the details that you want to hit in a study guide or something that would help to solidify it in your mind as well yeah teaching somebody else is a fantastic way because you don't want to be wrong when you're teaching someone so you try a lot harder to know what you're talking about exactly and you learn better I've I've taught my friends things. I've helped them learn things that I was never in the class for just because I was like, I don't want to feel dumb, so I'm going to pay attention when I read through this chapter to help them. It's Yeah, definitely. It's or like a, when a friend asks you, uh, I, you know, I'm doing this code and I don't I don't know what to do. Like I'm stuck on it. Um a lot of times I'll look at it and then I'll be like, I'll think harder because I want to give them the right answer and not waste their time. Yeah, and you learn you learn how it works a lot better when you have to explain it and not just do it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's a pretty good amount of detail we've got there. Anything else before we move on that you can think of? That's all I got for now in studying. Cool. Yeah, I guess one more thing is just make sure that you are very active about keeping access to all the materials you need. So pay attention in class. Make sure you have uh, all the notes. All the materials. I know a lot of people will get to going, get to studying, and then realize, oh crap, I don't have this handout. 
So just be really active about making sure you have those resources when you actually start studying. Yeah, all right, so question number, what is that, five? Technically six, but we grouped two. Uh, Diego says, I think it would be cool if you did some sort of feature on what to do after college. Opportunities, these gap year stuff, where to look for jobs, all that. Uh, graduating in May, freaking out. Don't know what I'm going to be in six months. Uh, a lot of us are freaking out. Everyone freaking out when they're graduating and they don't know where we're going to be unless you find a job beforehand. But, like, your girlfriend doesn't know yet. So, yeah, it's a really common thing to be, you know, on the verge of graduating and not knowing what you're going to do. So the first thing you need to do is assess your situation. Um, if you ask yourself, if I, you know, where am I going to be in three months? If I stop doing everything right now, uh, do I have a place to live in three months? Do I need to renew? Have I already renewed? Do I have the financial resources to keep living on my own? Even if I didn't find a job or do I need to go out and find a job? Do I need to move? Assess the situation that you have right now, figure out what you can do, and then you can look at your opportunities. So assuming that you're financially well off enough, you don't have um, huge student loan debt that you need to start paying right away, then I think looking into a gap year, as I said before, is a viable option because as long as you make a good use of that gap year, it's going to be useful when it comes time for you to look for jobs. So if you take that gap year to learn a new language or you know travel or volunteer, find a cool project to get involved with. As long as you're actively learning and contributing and you know building things or creating things or getting experience, a gap year can be a great option. And I'm not gonna be one of those people that says you need to go get a career right away because I, I don't agree with that. Um, on the other hand, if you have a lot of student loan debt or you just your financial situation dictates that you need to start making money, then that's what you need to look into. And right there, we can get into the question of where to find jobs. So, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll let you start with this because I have a lot I could say on it. Um, a lot of the resources I've been using lately are, well, sites like Indeed, which is indeed.com. It's really useful for if you have any idea what location you want to work in because what do you prefer? Do you care more about the job you're getting or where? That is a question you're going to need to answer because you need to know how broad to search. Are you going to be searching for jobs that are in your area or in any specific area? Or do you not care where it is really? You're willing to travel. You have the money to travel. You just want the job. It's really important to make sure you know what you want because otherwise searching is going to be kind of blind and not very focused. Um... Having your personal website and LinkedIn and things like that's really helpful. I've gotten to talk to a couple of people from having business cards just lying around in coffee shops because it turns out that employers do also get coffee and sometimes they see your things. So wait, you've actually left business cards and gotten contacted because of that yep. before? That is awesome. Yeah, that's the the job I'm looking at right now, actually. So the job you're looking... Oh, so he just yeah. found your card in a coffee yep. shop. Well, his partner did. That's actually... That's crazy. So I've... You, you need to make yourself available because if you're not available, no one can find you. And I don't know how likely it is that they will find you, but if you're not available, that likelihood is nothing. Yeah, definitely. I actually didn't know that that's how you ended up meeting that guy. Yeah, it made me feel pretty bad. That's yes. really cool. Um, I've had, I've had recruiters call me um, because they found my personal website, but... I haven't, I've, I've left a couple of business cards in coffee shops and usually I kind of want to advertise my site more than get jobs, but 
I haven't had that happen before, so that's really cool. Yeah, yeah I don't know how happen. common it is, but I mean, it's not going to happen if you don't do it. So yeah, definitely. It was still pretty cool, kind of like fate told them to find that coffee, and then they noticed that somebody who did what they're looking for was there. It's it's pretty cool. It is really cool. I actually feel bad at that time. So <laughs> the thing, and then uh, oh, I can hold the cannibal. LinkedIn. Okay. There have been tons of recruiters and HR people that have contacted me about LinkedIn, and you basically want to make sure that your stuff is up to date on there and that you're representing yourself well. Yeah. I don't think LinkedIn is, like, the most important thing you can do, but it's definitely yeah. something you should do. Like, yeah. it's it's there. Like, it's people not use primary, it. but I think you should probably have it set up. In 2009, I read a statistic that a quarter of all recruiters use LinkedIn to to find candidates and that's probably a lot more these days so it all goes back to kind of that concept of a show up and b have something to show so a i mean show up that just means kind of this be everywhere concept try to be anywhere that you think will be beneficial to finding um or connecting with people who can make things happen for you so have a linkedin have a personal website make business cards all that kind of stuff if you if there are networks that cater to your specific um, specific area or major, like if you're a designer, then Dribble and Behance are definitely really helpful things to be on. Use those kind of things. Um, find events in your area or even out of your area if you can travel. If there are conferences that are going to have people you want to connect with, try to go to go to that conference. You're going to learn a lot and you're going to meet a lot of people. So just really just making connections is the biggest way that you're going to find a job uh, and find one that you're actually going to love. And podcast episode 17 is the one all about networking. So I can link to that one as well. If you want to learn more about just making connections in general. Yeah. Anything else? Um, I mean, if your school happens to have career fairs like ours does, that's probably a good idea. True. And maybe any associate, I know there's like an, Iowa Association of Graphic Designers or something. There are probably groups of people with your talents or interests doing things. Oh, yeah. You should find them. That reminds They're me. They're not um, just for, like, grown-ups. They want to talk to you. Yeah, most most schools have, like, alumni associations with an alumni directory that kind of tells where people work after they go to college or after they graduate. And... When you're a student, you can use that directory. So if you have a company that you're interested in, check the directory from your school, see if there is a alumni working at that company, and then email them. Just be like, hey, I'm, I go to the same school you went to. I'm really interested in working at the company you work at. Do you think we could set up, you know, meet for coffee sometime or, or do a Skype interview if idea. I want to go far away, you know? That, like, having a connection, like an alumni connection, going to the same school is as a really good way to make an initial connection with somebody. They're going to be like, hey, I went to that school. Cool, you went there too. You know, you already have something in common. And they're very likely to want to help you if you reach out. So, yeah, that's, that's just one of the biggest things in life is being willing to reach out to people. Yeah, there's so many resources that you can miss out on if you're not looking for them. Yep, indeed. So, yeah, do that. I'm glad that you brought the Graphic Design Association thing up because I just remembered about that. yeah. The alumni thing uh, can be really, really helpful. Yeah, so let's move on to the next one, which we're on page two. On this page, nice. And this, so this will be, there's two questions, but they're kind of, 
um, similar, I thought. So these were the last ones. So Orn says, I want to graduate college successfully. I want to be accepted to the top grad school. I want to learn to cook, speak many languages, such as English, which is my second language, German, Portuguese, and French. Looks like somebody needs to be reading. Sounds clock. awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm also very interested in investing, finance, coding. Besides that, I started making music. But this year, I said to myself, has to be a breakthrough. And I want to make significant progress in this area. So I guess he's talking about music. Um, my plans are very ambitious and I need your help. So how can you manage multiple projects like this while still being social and still being successful in college? So I guess basically the, the gist of this question is how can I make progress on all these different varying goals I have while still having a social life, still doing well in school, and you know juggling all these balls at the same time? So it's how to be a productivity nerd. How to, yeah, how which to is be, one of my favorite things. <laughs> how to have lots of goals and actually achieve them all. And then Michael says, I really don't enjoy my classes and have decided I no longer want to uh, major in the major that I'm in right now. So, and I really want to make something happen in the real world, not in the academic world. I've been trying very hard to work fast with my schoolwork so I can put in more time into entrepreneurial ventures. But a lot of times I get stressed out with doing homework and studying for exams primarily because I don't see the point of doing it. Uh, this really shuts down my productivity. Do you have any thoughts on how I can prevent myself from getting stressed out and then increase my productivity so I can spend more time on what I consider to be important in my life? So I think these are two really similar questions. Michael is a little bit different in that he doesn't really like his major anymore and he doesn't see the value in school. And I want to say that's a little bit of the boat that we were in, that I was yeah. in, you might be currently I, in. I have felt that way several times, but it, it bounces yeah. back and forth. And I found that students that are really ambitious and kind of have like that autodidact mentality where they are able to motivate themselves to do things and learn on their own often find that eventually their school curriculum starts seeming like a bunch of unnecessary work. So we definitely uh, empathize with you, Michael. And for me, at least, I set up my goals and I looked at my future prospects and I said, okay... I know that I can succeed by doing this, this, and this, which for me, it was working on my blog, making sure that I was getting better at writing, connecting with people, starting the podcast, all that kind of stuff. And I knew that, okay, my schooling isn't really going to get me anywhere. I'm going to get the degree anyway. So I basically just said, I'm not going to be super, um, super concerned with getting all A's and getting perfect grades and learning every single thing my classes have to offer. Because even though I have those opportunities... I have to look at the cost, which is the, you know, how much time it takes, how much time it takes away from my actual goals. So for me, it was, I set a threshold. I want to get a three, five and my classes are pretty easy. I think a business major is not that difficult. If you're in engineering, it might be different. And basically I said, okay, I'm going to pay attention. Basically the amount that I need to get these grades, you know, mainly B's at the end of it. If A's, if the class is easy and I'm going to spend all the rest of my time working on this stuff that I want to work on. That was my strategy. I mean, one of the main strategies when it comes to school. Are you kind of the same way? Yeah, I'm basically the same way. It's just, um, if if you want to still go through with uh, your current major, like, it's not so early that you could possibly switch. Because if it's so early that you could possibly switch into something you like better, then you should probably look into that, see if it would make you happier. But uh, things, things that I've done to make school less time-consuming for me is there was a class that I tested out of, and, I mean, if you just study up a lot, you might be able to test out of some of your classes. And there's... That's true. You can take things 
I know it's true at Iowa State, I don't know about your school, but we can take a certain amount of our classes, pass, not pass, and say say you have nine classes that you need to take this semester, or nine credits worth of classes, and you need to have 12 credits to be full-time, but that last three credits isn't going to mean anything towards your degree. It's just electives to make you full-time. Take something, pass, not pass, because at our school... Even if it's not passed, it doesn't affect your GPA, so you could literally not care if you wanted to. There are ways you can make getting your degree more efficient, and knowing the regulations behind how your school grades things, and what you need to do, and what you can test out of, it's very important if you want to get it done with as little work and stress as possible. Yeah, definitely. I'd say maybe talk to an advisor about your options in that area. Some advisors won't know, some advisors might not, but... Go see what your options are. Um, I know another thing was I had a a elective requirement in my major where there were like six listed classes in MIS and I had to take one and I didn't want to take any of them, but there was another one, so independent study was listed. Uh, yeah. And you have to go get special instructor permission to do an independent study. Well, I was like, I want to build an iPhone app for my blog. Um, I haven't finished this yet because it, as it turns out, an iPhone app is a huge amount of work. But at the time, I was working on doing it already, and I was like, this is a coding project. This pretty much fits into what my major requirements are, so could I turn my personal goal into making an iPhone app into a class and kind of kill two birds with one stone? So I went and asked the head of the department, and I was like, okay, here's my project. Do you think this would work as an independent study? He said yes. I got the paperwork filled out, and... Instead of being in class three hours a week and doing a lot of homework and taking all the notes, um, instead I flew to Austin, Texas for a conference where entrepreneurs were working together and getting on, you know, working to get things finished. Spent an entire weekend working to learn how to build iPhone apps. I built one small example app. I got a good amount of progress done on my current app. Um, wrote a blog post on College Info Geek about it. Took that blog post, turned it in as a Word document, and past the independent study class with an A. So all that effort was going towards my personal goals and I was able to use it for a school goal. If you can make that happen, then definitely do it because you're going to free up a lot of time for your actual goals. Uh, another story was I had, a, I had a class where there was an extra credit project to build a website for someone. I was in another class where the final project was to build a website for a client. So and then I was working at the college web, uh, the web development center, and my boss was like, "You need to train on, you know, these certain languages." So I took my time at work to build this website for the final project while learning PHP at the same time. Turned it in as this extra credit in my other class, and there were three things done, all with one set of one, uh, one I guess one piece of work. That is pretty awesome. I didn't even know you did that. Yeah. So three birds with one stone at that point. Uh, I learned a lot, got paid for it, and got two different grades on two different projects, all with one thing. So look for things that you can kind of consolidate. If you can kind of kill two birds with one stone, find something that will apply to your own goals along with your curriculum requirements, then look into that. Otherwise, start getting lazy in school <laughs> as long as you're using that time. I mean, I don't, don't fail school. Don't let your degree look bad, but you don't need to be perfect. Getting a 4.0 is not going to do that much for you. 
unless you're going to some super prestigious grad school, in which case do as much academically as you can because that should be your goal. But if you're wanting to be entrepreneurial or, or get into you know a certain company, they're going to want to see true experience and getting out and making connections and things that you've built more than they're going to want to see an extra few points in your GPA. So study as much as you can to get good but not perfect grades and then use your time wisely. Uh, yeah. Oh, and out, outside of that, we had the basic productivity. Yeah, that's true. Tips. So let's talk a little so, bit about that and also get back into Mario because oh, yeah. how can you be productive without playing Mario? Oh, whoops. Controller went off. All right, so... You good now? Yeah. Okay. For basic productivity, managing a lot of goals at once, this is a question that's very at home for the both of us. So one thing that I would suggest is the... the uh, Goal notebook, the Zig Ziglar thing. Yeah, the uh, pick four. That's that, called. That's what it's called. It's really fantastic, and I've used it to manage several goals at once to rebuild habits after I kind of get lazy over Christmas break because you know it's Christmas break. So, can you explain a little bit about what what that is if people don't know? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the pick four book is a little notebook, and the premise is pretty simple. You pick four goals that you want to work on in your life. Goals that preferably you can work on every day. Like you have something that you could do once a day. And you write them down. And every day of the week, Monday through Friday, you have a text box for each of these goals. And you write down, what did I do today? Well, one of my goals is to study Spanish. So I studied Spanish with Duolingo and did some cool stuff and went to Spanish club. That's good. And you do that for all of your four goals. Or, I mean, you don't have to have four if you don't need four, but do it for all of your goals. And the interesting part is if you don't do something for your goals that day, you got to write nothing in. Just write it in all caps so that you're mad at yourself when you see it. And when you see that nothing, you're not going to want to have it happen again. Because if you have a five-day streak doing all of your goals in a row, that sixth day where you're almost, you're, you're ready to go to bed, but you're missing one goal, you're going to be very motivated to go find something, at least something small that you can do for that goal, because you're not going to want to leave that blank. It feels bad. Trust me. So it really just helps you get daily progress done on all these goals. Yeah, yeah. Little steps make insert idiom here. I don't know. And but, I found that it's yeah, it's a really, really helpful system for me as well. Um, and I'm glad that it's at four, because any more than four goals and you're getting into just biting up more than you can chew territory. I've also noticed that when you're a student... Um, four goals might actually be too much. Yeah, because, maybe, maybe one of those should just be school. Yeah, I mean, because th they market this to all sorts of people. It could be the person who's just working a 9 to 5. When they come home, they're done for the day, and they can either work on their goals or watch TV. Those are the choices, you know, or you know, whatever small yeah. responsibilities they have as an adult. But when you're a student, you got, you know, you might have a large class schedule, and you might also have a part-time job, you've got lots of homework and studying to do, you have a lot of different uh, responsibilities that represent kind of mental shifts every time you, you do one. So if you got four goals added on to study, go to your part-time job, do homework, go to class, it can get overwhelming. And so I would say, you know, if you do this, if you do this system, don't be afraid to go with uh, not as many goals. You yeah, know, if you just ignore one of the boxes. 
Not yeah. a big deal. Three or two, you know, as long as you have something you want to do and you can make daily progress on that goal, then you're going to be satisfied with with your progress and with that system. And, you know, I found it's really, really helpful. And I think, what, what did you do with uh, your last one? Didn't you, like, make one of your goals to, like, basically enjoy yourself and have fun every day? Oh, yeah, because I have a terrible habit of doing too many goals at once and stressing myself out. So this last goal notebook that I ran through... It's a three-month thing, by the way. There are 12 weeks worth in each notebook. But uh, one of the goals was health slash happiness so that I don't stress myself out too much over the rest of the goals. So if if I'm really tempted to just spend the entire day working and there's something social that I would like to do, but I'm like, no, I have to be responsible, then that last goal basically said, don't take the other goals too seriously, bro. You need to calm down or else you're going to hurt yourself like happiness wise and then the other goals don't really matter do they yeah exactly if you i mean it's very good to have goals but you also need to be considering you know you're living life and you don't want to delay your enjoyment of life you know indefinitely just because you have a bunch of goals it's that because it's the same mentality as you know well i'll i'll work until i'm 65 and then retire that's you know that I think that mentality is a lot really flawed because you're just delaying your enjoyment Oops. of life. So let's where are we going right now? But yeah, if you're not if you're not making sure that you at least enjoy yourself sometimes, then you might want to reconsider that. I have now learned that hitting that brick is a bad idea. Yeah, I apparently Oops. you're not supposed to. Okay, that is pretty terrible. Weird. Uh, but and also if you if you know if you never have fun, you're going to be stressed out. and You're not going to perform. Well, with your actual goals in the first place. So you got to enjoy life sometimes. Even if you're really ambitious and want to do a lot of different things, you got to make time to have fun. Yeah. Uh, even Yo- when I... YOLO. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's stupid, but it's true. Yeah, it sounds better if you just say you only live once, <laughs> you but only YOLO. Live once, funnier. and you need to have fun. And all those people on there, you know, they, you've heard the things. Everyone on their deathbed never says, I wish I went to the office more. But it is true. They're going to say, I wish I spent more time with my family and friends and basically enjoyed life. So do that. Um, make time to be stupid. And then you're going to have more fun. Oh, God. Whoops. Uh, um, yeah, is there outside of that, there's your basic productivity tools like Wonderlist for to-do list task management, and Evernote, and Trello. All of these things are probably... Are they all covered somewhere on your blog? Uh, pretty much. I wouldn't doubt it. So there... I'm, I'm currently writing my first book, and it's going to be all about productivity, so I... Wow, we Ooh, just that, again. That will definitely be relevant. Um, but there were, like, four, four keywords that I was writing about in one chapter that I kind of want to touch on, and it's basically how to focus the actual amount of work you have to do. So I had, like, delegate, um, automate... And then kind of cut things out. And I don't remember what the fourth one was. But basically, use the 80-20 principle to figure out what is actually important for me to do, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And what is just wasted effort at this point. Um, That's kind of like the cutting things out. And then, are there things that I can do that I could have other people do, you know, from a businessman's point of view, you could like get a virtual assistant or you could hire somebody to do things. Um, from a student's point of view, the automation 
option is usually better. What can I automate? Can I create auto hotkey scripts for this certain thing that takes me a long time? Can I create Gmail filters to make my email processing easier? Um, can I batch process research? How can I make things quicker and more efficient than I currently do them? And when you, when you focus some effort into doing those things, you're eventually going to save a lot of time and also stress yourself out a lot less. So yeah, uh, obviously I just said I'm writing a book on productivity. So this is not all I have to say on productivity. And when that comes out soon, then you will be, I think my, we just died. <laughs> oh, seriously? Yep. Oh, so I think all right, I'm carrying the, the game and you are carrying, <laughs> no, you're, you're gonna have to throw me off of the thing. Oh yeah. You're still interfering I'm super with the dead. gameplay. Yeah. Uh, wow. I think we're super dead at this point. Uh, unless screwed. that thing can catch me. I don't know if it can. I, is well, it faster than me? <laughs> I, wow. So this is hilarious. I've People never... Plug my Wii thing in. So yeah, I guess... Uh, where are we at? 100, 1 hour and 24 minutes? Probably a pretty good stopping point at this... Uh, yeah, I think, answered I like think 7 I've, or 8 questions. I think I've covered everything that I want to say. You? But yeah, um... I'll have a book coming out on productivity really soon and more details are forthcoming about that. So if you're looking to learn more on how to be more productive, that is on its way. Uh, beyond that, uh, I think that is all the questions we're going to answer today. Uh, this has been pretty fun. Yeah, Tom's really bad at Mario. We are really bad. You're bad at Mario too, you know. <laughs> um, We'll probably do this again in the future. So if you have questions that you would like to have answered on the show, you can email me. I'm thomas at collegeinfogeek.com. Uh, or hit me up on Twitter if you have a short question. I'm at Tom Frankly. Or if you go to the podcast page, there's a link to my SpeakPipe profile where you can actually speak a question. And if you do it that way, I can actually feature your voice on the show. So if that's something that's interesting to you, go ahead and leave me a voicemail on SpeakPipe. I'll get it in my email and then I can... Uh, include on the show, and you'll be featured on the College of Bo Geek podcast as well. Beyond that, show notes for this episode are at sigpodcast.com, C-I-G-podcast.com. That redirects you to my cast page, and then you click on the episode, where we at, 18, episode 18 link, um, to get all the show notes, links, things that I said I would link to, and actually remember to link to other things, um, backslash details, whatever. So yeah. I cool. think that's about it. Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, I've really enjoyed having Martin here, and playing video games while recording is also pretty fun. So if you enjoyed it, um, subscribe on iTunes for more, and if you would, please leave a rating and review. It definitely helps boost the rankings for the show and get this out to more people, and lets me know what you think. So be honest. Let me know how I can improve, what you like, what you don't like. And other than that, I will see you next time. See you later, Space Cowboy. Really? Yep. <laughs> YOLO. He's a dandy guy. In space. Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek Podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.